Present, good morning, Alma and everybody online. Thank you for joining us. It's great to be together. Before we open up the Bible and uh, take a look at what the Lord wants to speak into our lives and into our hearts, I want to address just what's been going on in the nation for the last two weeks. Uh, to put it mildly, it has been a chaotic time and a very challenging time uh, and a very divisive time in this country, in particular in the last two weeks. And it really reminds us all, I think, of the brokenness within ourselves. And I think the temptation to look at all things, uh, which we normally do, through our own lens. Uh, it's just uh, very, very prevalent. Uh, a lot of opinions going around, a lot of uh, information where you find yourself hearing things, you're going, I don't know if I can trust that. And then you hear another angle, you're like, I don't know if I can trust that either. Um, I think we got a lot of people, uh, not everybody, but a lot of people who, um, it's like they're not, they're just... They're having a hard time listening to each other. And instead, it's people who are very loud with their hands over their ears. I think there's a lot of that going on. And uh, I think it can bring us to a place where things just feel chaotic. And then our response to that is, I think, um, we get pent up. Uh, we get worried. Uh, we get upset or angry. Um, we get anxious and stressed out about the way things are. And what I would like to do today is I would like to simply ask us to fix our eyes on Jesus. I would like to point towards heaven. And, um, you know, what does the Bible tell us to do when we get anxious and worried and stressed out and, and upset about things? There's a particular scripture in the New Testament that says, uh, it has a word that kind of wraps up all of those things, and the word is your cares. And it says, when you have those kinds of things, it says, I want you to take them and I want you to cast them towards the Lord. It literally says, cast your cares. And the reason why is because God cares for you. And I want you to take a minute today and I want you to just catch your breath if you would. And I want you to think of all of those emotions and sometimes all those thoughts that kind of worry and, and, and whirl around in our minds. And uh, I want you to just say, Lord, I really want to give you that today. I want to just sit in your presence for a moment, and I want to give you that, because I know that you care for me, and sometimes it can have such an ill effect on us. I don't want to add to the confusion in any way. I simply want to do what the Bible tells us to do, and this, for me, really has nothing to do with politics whatsoever, but could I remind you of this? I believe that God is in control of those who are in control. Amen? I believe that he is still sovereign over kings and kingdoms. And that is true yesterday, today, and forever. And that's where I put my hope and my trust today. I certainly recognize that the government has its place. But I would say this, the government is not our savior. Never has, never will be. Jesus Christ is our savior. And so we look to him. So would you pray with me for just a moment? Father, we pray for this country. We pray for the government. Lord, particularly what's going to take place over the next few days. And Lord, we give you anxiety and stress and upset and anger and confusion. And, and Lord, all of this chaos that seems to be uh, so prevalent. And instead, Lord, today, Lord, we want to stand firm on the person of Jesus Christ as the bedrock and the foundation of our lives. Uh, Lord, we want to represent the gospel so well. We want to champion unity and we want to champion love in our lives. So I just want to say, God, like I just I want to trust you. In fact, I'm going to trust you. As a church, we're going to trust you. We're going to trust Jesus Christ. We're going to look to you. We're going to love each other. We're going to serve each other. And we're going to serve this world with the gospel. We pray this in the name of Jesus. 
Amen. Praise God. Let's uh, open up our word, our, uh, the, the Word of God today. Today we finish off our series called Over It. Week number one, comparison. I hope you are getting over this constant desire and need to compare yourself to others. We saw what the Lord spoke to us about that. Week number two was hiding, and I trust the Holy Spirit is working in your life that you don't need to hide from God or from yourself or from others. Today, we're going to talk about something that every single person in this room has done, except me. I'm just joking. Every single person in this room has done, and that's complain. Every single person. Look at 2020. It was like five minutes ago. Did anybody here complain about last year? I did. For sure, I absolutely did. COVID virus, complain. Floods in Midland, complain. Racial turmoil, protests, we saw violence, we saw looting in the streets. We complained about the issue itself. We complained about our response to the issue. Perhaps the most polarized and contentious election cycle, I don't think this is an exaggeration, in the history of this country. And we complained. Boy, did we complain. And because of reasons that I just don't understand, I don't understand this, we then get on social media. And people that you know, I want you to think of people right now that you know, and you would describe them, if you were to talk to them, engage with them, you're like, these are the kinds of words you might use to describe them. These are decent people. These are nice people. These are civil people. These are polite people. But for whatever reason, those people that you know who are very polite get on social media. And guess what happens to their civility and their politeness? It goes out the window. And you look at them going, wow, I can't believe that. That's kind of shocking. The worst thing we could do today is to look at a culture of complaint and to simply wag our fingers at it. That would probably be lacking in a little bit of self-awareness. And it would be a little bit naive. Instead, we want to open up the Word of God. And what we do every time with the Word of God is we say, Lord, how does what you have to say apply to my life and to my heart, to my mind, to my actions, to the words that I speak, to how I love people or how I don't love people? And that's what we want to do today. Did any of us get through last year without complaining once? Of course not. But Pastor Alan it was 2020, come on. Surely it's okay to just let off a little steam, right? That's not a big deal. Surely there were a few legitimate things that we could complain about. Well, let's see what our Father has to say about that. I want to credit an Old Testament expert by the name of Tremper Longman. He did some work in the Old Testament where he derives and kind of finds two particular words. They both start with the letter G uh, to describe kind of big chunks of history in the Old Testament. And I, and I want to share these with you today. If you're taking notes, write down the first one, and it is the word groaning. Everybody say groaning. Everybody say groaning. Groaning is a good thing. Actually, I really believe it is. I believe it's a good word. It's a necessary thing to do in your life. I think God is okay with groaning. And the reason why I would say that is because it's honest. There's something difficult that impacts your life, and I think it's healthy and normal to somehow express the reality of that taking place, that that has happened in your life. We see this particularly in the history of the nation of Israel. Exodus chapter 2 says this, The Israelites groaned in their slavery. Now, do you think it's okay for a nation who are enslaved to groan about that. I, I really do. I think that's absolutely fine. 
They cried out. Their cry for help because of their slavery, it went up to God. God heard, there's the word again, their groanings, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God looked on the Israelites, and he was concerned about them. So this gets remembered. This gets reflected by God. God, through Moses, now goes back to the nation of Israel because he's heard their groaning, and he's going to speak to them through Moses. Here's what it says, chapter 6. Moreover, I have heard, same word, the groanings of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. So the practice of groaning, I think it's actually important. I think it got, it's so important, we see that it's included in sacred literature. We bump into the book of Psalms, and look what it says in the third one. It says, my soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? I am worn out from my groaning. So this person who wrote the Psalms, he's done a whole bunch of groaning, so much so that I think he's actually experiencing groaning fatigue. He's done a whole lot of groaning. He's kind of tired of his own groaning. But I think it's actually commanded in the Bible. There's a book in the Old Testament called Lamentations, which is the word lament, which basically means this book is one big fat cry. That's what it is. You're not going to read this one at weddings at all. Chapter 2, verse 19 says this, Arise, cry out in the night. Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Look, Lord, and consider... Whom have you ever treated like this? Those are strong words. That's groaning. People do it in the Bible. People do that in the real world. Because sometimes, you already know this, life is difficult. Life is very hard and it's full of challenges. And somewhere in your life, there is a necessity to express that. And I think that's a good thing. I think it's actually commanded in Scripture. The second word begins with G also, and it is the word grumbling. Everybody say grumbling. Okay, that was a little too much because this actually isn't a good word. And this, but it's, it's also a practice that goes way back into history. Exodus chapter 15 says this, so the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Now Moses reminds them of their history. Deuteronomy chapter 1, it says this, you grumbled in your tents. Now I want you to remember that phrase. I'm going to come back to that in just a second. You grumbled in your tents and you said this, the Lord hates us. Now, is that the truth or is that a lie? That's a lie. So they are giving expression to a lie and they're complaining. Now, this word grumbling also makes its way into the Psalms. Psalm 106 says this, they grumbled, and look at this phrase again, in their tents. So they're grumbling once again. And then notice in this little verse right here what their grumbling is paired with. It says, they grumbled in their tents, and they did not obey the Lord. These two things are paid to, paired together. So the word grumbling is actually forbidden in the Bible. In the New Testament, Paul, in the book of Philippians chapter 2, says this, do everything without grumbling. Do everything without arguing. Anyone here at the moment quick to get into an argument? Anyone here happy to get on social media and argue with people? The Word of God explicitly says, I don't want you grumbling. I don't want you arguing with people. Now, there's a temptation to say, oh, come on. In the scheme of things, this is not a big deal. You know, it's not like it's a really bad thing or some sin. If it is a sin, it can't be a bad one. Just letting off a little bit of steam. Well, if you think that, you'd be wrong. 
Paul, when he's writing this letter to the church in Corinth, he actually goes back to the verses that we just looked at, and he sees the Israelites wandering around in the desert, and he says to his church in Corinth, listen, let's learn some lessons from these Israelites. There's several things that they did wrong, and I don't want you doing those things. And he begins to list them out. So he says things like, like don't, you know, don't, don't commit the sin of idolatry or sexual immorality. And then he goes on a little bit further. In chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, he says this, and do not grumble. So I don't want you, no idolatry, no sexual immorality, and, and no grumbling as some of them did. And how serious is this? Is this really just a trivial little thing of letting off a little steam? And here's how serious it is. Do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. That's kind of scary. That's a big deal. So we have these two words, groaning and grumbling. Groaning is actually encouraged in the Bible. Grumbling is forbidden in the Bible. Groaning is something I do to God. Grumbling is something I do about God. Groaning is something I do to God's face. Grumbling is something I do behind God's back. The place, as we look at Israel, when they were groaning in, and they were honest about it, is they would get down on their knees in front of God. But then we see this interesting little phrase on two occasions. The place where the Israelites would grumble was inside their tents. Close the door, isolate, nobody can hear us, we can exaggerate if we want to, we can make things up, we can make it seem worse than it is, and it's behind everybody's back, it's behind God's back, and we can just give voice to the things that we're not happy about. 2021, what kind of man, what kind of woman do you want to be? What kind of marriage do you want? What kind of tone do you want in your friendships or in your home? How do you want to speak in front of your children? They will mimic you. They will pick up on what you're doing and they will do it back to you. I think one of the easiest things to do in life is to complain. It's so easy. You don't need a degree. Anybody can do it. My lousy boss. I don't like that restaurant. Lazy faculty. What an idiotic policy. What a pretentious politician. That plan's no good. It's flawed. That's not the right way to do it. I could do a better job than that blindfolded. What horrible service. I don't like this. I'm telling you right now, church, that is low IQ stuff. It doesn't take a smart man or woman to talk like that. And as a follower of Christ... When you reflect that kind of negativity and cynicism and complaint and grumbling, here's what you become. You actually become a repellent to Jesus Christ, to the gospel, and to everything that is just wonderful about the faith. It's dreary. It's lifeless. Nobody wants to be around it. It's negative. You can even be right about the thing you're complaining about, but nobody wants to be around you. You see, to complain into somebody's ear, here's what it's not doing. It's not fixing anything. It doesn't provide a solution or a help. It doesn't give life. It doesn't enhance. It's complaining sometimes because you are in a group of people who just like to complain. It's complaining because sometimes, and you may not have an awareness of this, and I pray the Holy Spirit puts his finger on this in your life if this is you, because you're actually addicted to complaining. It literally is the mode of operation that you function in when you converse with people. You just complain about stuff. 
It's how you know how to talk. Here's where it gets really nasty. Is pride creeps in. And unknowingly, you begin to actually glorify your opinion. You, you literally elevate your opinion. My opinion is right. My take, my perspective. And very quickly, what it does is it belittles what's most important. People and God. Look at this picture in the Bible. It's actually embarrassing. And I see myself in it plenty. It's Israel's history. God delivers them, right? He hears their groaning. He delivers them from 400 years of slavery. And how does he do it? It is powerful. It's incredible. It's supernatural. You know, parting the Red Sea. That's a big deal. (laughs) You know, 10 plagues into a nation. That's a really big deal. You know, destroying the superpower army of the day, Pharaoh's army. God does all of these things. And we see this nation set free, coming into the promised land. And they open their mouths. And in Scripture, they begin to sing this hymn of praise and thanks to God. They're on their way to the promised land. This is great. And you would look at these people and you would say, surely they are going to be so content and filled with gratitude as long as they live. Not so much. A couple of days into the wilderness, they can't find water. Now, is that a legitimate need? Yes, it is. But look at how they manage it. Chapter 15 of Exodus. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? Notice it wasn't a conversation with Moses. It wasn't an attempt to get water or to try to help or to find water. Nor was it a conversation with him at all. In fact, it was a conversation behind Moses' back. It was against him. So what does God do? I know what I would do if I were God. I'd just part the Red Sea, gave you ten plagues, destroyed Pharaoh's army. You're in the desert just a few days, and you're complaining. I know exactly what I'd do if I were God. I'd be like, all right, let's get things sorted out here. You're in trouble. God doesn't do that. God miraculously supplies sweet water for them. So now they have freedom, and now they have water. And you would think, surely now, they're going to be so happy. They're going to be grateful for the rest of their lives. Not so much. Chapter 16 from the message. The whole company of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron there in the wilderness. The Israelites said, why didn't God let us die in comfort in Egypt? Now, I want you to just stick your logic on right here. They want they would have preferred death and comfort. So here's the logical problem with that. When you're dead, you're neither comfortable nor uncomfortable. You're just dead. We want death and comfort. Where we had lamb stew and all the bread we could eat, you brought us into this wilderness to starve to death. Again, let's get our logic going here. They're complaining, right? We want death. And they're complaining, you brought us out here to die. Doesn't really make sense, does it? God hears their grumbling again. I know what I would have done if I were God. All right, lads, that's enough of this. Let's get this sorted. You're in trouble with me. God doesn't do that. God is gracious. God miraculously provides for them, oh, you know, floating bread from the sky that comes and lands gently on the grass. It's called manna. 
Manna literally means, what is this? Every day, fresh, beautiful manna. It's like this cracker with honey. It's beautiful. And now you think, surely now, you know, the Red Sea, the ten plagues, destroying Pharaoh's army, giving them freedom, giving them water, floating bread from the sky to come down every day fresh onto the grass for you. Surely now they will be happy for the rest of their lives. They'll be so grateful. Not so much. Chapter 11 of Numbers, the people fell to grumble over their hard life. They got tired of the supernatural bread. God heard. And finally, now he's catching up with me. When he heard this, his anger flared. Verse 4. The riffraff among the people had a craving. And soon they had the whole people of Israel whining. Why can't we have meat? We ate fish in Egypt And we got it for free. Now, I want you to remember that phrase, got it for free. I'm going to come back to that in just a second to say nothing of the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic, but nothing tastes good out here. All we get is manna, manna, manna. And you start to see why complaining is so destructive for your soul. Why this grumbling against God And and why he takes it so seriously and why you should take it so seriously. For one thing, it's incredibly contagious. We already read it. Let me read it again. This riffraff among the people had a craving and soon they had the whole nation of Israel whining. I mean, that's like two-year-old. They got a a country talking like a two-year-old. It starts with the riffraff and then it spreads. Grumbling and complaining will do that. Why? Because it's emotional. And emotions are unbelievably contagious. When you are an out-of-control complainer, forget COVID-19. You are spreading complaint germs everywhere. And when you get into that mode and you start thinking like that and giving expression, here's what it's going to do. Not only is it contagious, but it will actually distort your perspective. It's like your brain gets broken. Because you go so negative, so cynical. Your perspective is gone. One author put it like this. I love this. He said, sometimes I think there's one verse in the Bi- that's not in the Bible that should be in the Bible. And it would be this. Suck it up, say it the Lord. <laughs> Here's the thing. When I groan, I do that in the presence of God. See, groaning in the Bible is actually God-centered. So often in the Psalms, we see these these songs of lament where people are in genuine pain. It's really challenging and they're groaning. But so often the context, the bigger picture, is you'll see then right on these next lines, it's followed by this sense of confession of their sins. They're like, God, I'm in agony. This seems so unfair. This is so difficult. It's so unjust. But can I just tell you, this is what I need to bring before you. Here's my flaws and my sins and my shame and, and my guilt. And God goes, I'll listen to that. It's God-centered. Grumbling is self-centered. It's just about me. It's what about what, what I want. How come I don't have meat? Where's my fish? And then bring that to today. What are the things that you seem to demand in life? This is what I want. This is what I need. This needs to be put right for me. I need this. I need that. I need pleasure. I need success. It's filled with all kinds. It's just gunked up with self. And I'm telling you, it is destructive for your soul. It is contagious. This riffraff, they start. It gets the whole country whining. 
And then do you know who it affects? It affects the leader. Grumbling can kill a leader. Unbelievable words from Moses. Look, look at this. Chapter 11. Moses heard the whining. All of those families whining in front of their tents. And God's anger blazed up. Moses saw that things were in a bad way. Moses said to God, Why are you treating me this way? What did I ever do to you to deserve this? Did I conceive them? Was I their mother? So why dump the responsibility of this people on me? Why tell me to carry them around like a nursing mother, carrying them all the way to the land that you promised their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people who are whining to me? Give us meat. We want meat. I can't do this by myself. It's too much. All these people, if this is how you intend to treat me, do me a favor and kill me. I've seen enough. I've had enough. Let me out of here. Probably not the most spiritual sounding passage, is it? Wow, Moses. That's some serious hardcore complaining against God. God, you're not doing a good job. Your annual review is coming up and you are not getting a merit increase. Nope. Moses gets maybe one thing right in his rant. At least he complains to God. He goes to God's face and not behind his back. And I read that, and I was just thinking through all of this. I find myself saying, convicted, like, I think I need to groan more before God. I mean, look at those words that Moses just said. Like, they're out there. I mean, it's pretty edgy stuff. And I, I look at Moses and I think, I think his relationship with God is for real. Like, that's not fake. I think that is deep. I think that is honest. I think it's real. I think it is authentic and legitimate. Did you ever pray a prayer and you feel like the teacher from Charlie Brown? Did you ever do that? You're like, oh my goodness, I'm saying the same words. Did you ever pray to God? And you're like, I don't even know if I mean a word that I'm saying. I, I'm boring myself praying to God. Did you ever do that? And if that's you, here's what I would say. You've you got to go deeper. I tell you, there's one thing about that prayer from Moses. That is not a boring prayer. That's honest. And I would encourage you, even if your prayers have to become a little bit more edgy, get authentic about your relationship with God and how you speak to Him and lose the plastic, rote nonsense that has no meaning to you. See, God can work with groaning but God wants you to go through your life without grumbling. So how do you do it? Because the idea that you're going to get on with the rest of your day today and then just suddenly perhaps take maybe even years, maybe even for some of you decades of a negative way of speaking and just by a sheer act of your will say, well, I'm just not going to do that again. I don't even know if God expects that of you. I think today... I think the Holy Spirit would invite you into a life of gratitude. The discipline of gratitude. I think the Holy Spirit would invite you to actually be transformed in this. Like moment by moment, where God would impart his grace to you as you encounter negativity and cynicism and grumbling. What if we became the, like, just the most thankful people? What if we were the most thankful church? What if you became like the most thankful man or the most thankful woman, like shockingly thankful, a a person like that? 
The practice of expressing gratitude. And I really want to challenge you in this. Open up your mouth and express gratitude. Vera Pepper. Like salt and pepper. That was her name. Vera Pepper. And when I was a young teenager, she was an old lady in my church back in Dublin. And the first time I ever noticed her hands was when I was helping her get through the front door of her house. I think I was carrying maybe some groceries for her. She was an old woman. And she got her keys out to put the key into into the keyhole. And I looked at her hands, and my eyes were probably wide open. And she was riddled with arthritis. And maybe there's another medical term for it that I I, I don't know. I mean, her fingers, she couldn't hold her fingers out straight like that. She had no dexterity. She had no strength. Her fingers just all collapsed. They just all fell constantly. She couldn't. And and what I noticed was on her key, someone had kindly put, you know, like those little lollipop sticks, like those bits of wood for inside an ice pop. And they had attached it to the key on either side. So she had a little bit more material so that she could turn the key. And I remember looking at that and I'm holding her groceries. And what struck me about Vera Pepper is that she never stopped thanking everybody and everything for anything. I mean, if you spent two minutes with her, she was just saying things like, well, I'm so grateful for this. I'm so grateful for that. She would say, well, my family, they're just wonderful. Whether they were or not, I don't even know. I'm so thankful for my church. I'm so thankful for my, for my, I'm so thankful what the Lord's teaching me. I'm so thankful. And then she would say this, I'm so thankful for my health. Look at all the things I'm still able to do. And I remember even as a young teenager thinking, maybe she's just putting that on. Like maybe she's just faking that to maybe present herself in a certain light that would be impressive and spiritual or something like that, or to come across as a super positive person and people would speak well of her. But as I got to know her over the years, I just, I was absolutely personally convinced that it was actually honest and real and authentic in her life. I want to grow up to be more like Vera Pepper. Psalm 100 says, make a joyful noise. Make a joyful what? Make a, I think anybody can make a noise. Almost anybody can make a noise and stick a bit of joy in there. Eugene Peterson paraphrases that exact scripture from Psalm 100. He says, on your feet now. Applaud God. Bring a gift of laughter. Sing yourself into his presence. Imagine that. Imagine living a life of laughter. Imagine as a spiritual discipline that you said, I'm going to sing myself into the presence of God. Imagine a church that just spontaneously said, we're just going to stand up to our feet and we're just going to start applauding God because we're grateful to God. What if you woke up tomorrow morning and you were just filled with thanks as you got out of your bed? Imagine you just said, I'm in my right mind. Thank you, God. I have clothes on my back. I have breakfast that I can eat. I have a Bible. I have a church. I have people who care for me. I have the Holy Spirit who lives inside of me. God gave me the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. He died on the cross to forgive me of my sins. Imagine you just woke up in the morning and you said, man, none of my sins will ever be counted against me. I'm thankful for that. The resurrected one is at work in my life right now. I don't have to worry about dying because when I die, I just know I'm going to be with my father forever and forever. Wouldn't it be great if there was just a group of people who are so thankful and so grateful to God about what the Bible, when it says, on your feet now, applaud God, that they just stood up and they actually just did that. They just authentically overflowed with thanksgiving towards our God.
You see, you're walking out to the rest of your day into a world that will look you in the eye and they'll say to you this, go ahead and complain. Go ahead and complain for the rest of your life. Go for it. Join us. Go ahead and grumble and get a bunch of people to grumble with you. Today I want to leave you with a single reason that you should be grateful. Do you remember this word groaning? We said it's a good thing. And I want to say this to everybody who's really hurting today. And I'm trying my, guess, my best to get through this without losing it myself. If that's you, I want you to look at the scripture. Romans chapter 8. In verse 9 it says this. For the creation waits. So just think about all that is around you in this creation. It's waiting. What's it waiting on? And then a little further on in verse 20, it says this, that the creation was subject to futility. So everything that you see, all that around you, all this beauty and creation, we've been waiting for something, but then it's like we're subject, we're under something, and it's almost like it's futile. It's like, well, what's the point of this? Where's this going? This is hard. Verse 22, it says this, for that we know, again, the whole creation, and here's this word, has been groaning together as in the pains of childbirth. So this is not a good thing. This is not an easy thing at all. Creation is, is waiting. Creation is subject. It's like it's under this thing, and it seems like, man, I don't know. This all just seems like it's going to come to nothing. It's probably just going to be a waste of time. This is painful, like childbirth, so much so that it's like creation itself doesn't have words to put on this. It's just groaning. In my early 20s, uh, it was the first time I ever came over to America, I got into a car accident. And I was with a bunch of young people, and it was the summer. And we said, we're going to go to the lake and have a nice time. And everyone hopped in this car. And I think it was a Ford Explorer. And you know the way in those kinds of cars, you've got, you know, you got your two seats, you've got your back row, and, you, and then you, just gotta, you can kind of hop over, and there's the, uh, the back of the trunk of the car. And there was a gang of us young people, and there were so many people that we couldn't fit in the car. And I said, I'll just sit in the back. So it's not really a seat, you know. Uh, we're, I'm only going 20 minutes down the road. It's fine. I'll sit in the back. And so we did. And the windows were rolled down, and the music was cranked up, and everyone was laughing and chatting and talking and having a good old time. And the driver just wasn't paying attention. And he drove right through a four-way stop sign and sideswiped, uh, having turned his car in the last second, a cement truck. And it sent our car just rolling and rolling. Uh, and I was in the back of the car. I wasn't even in a seat. I've got about eight stitches right here. And... Um, it's funny what you remember. All, all I can remember in that moment, the, because the car was rolling, my body was being lifted and being dropped and being lifted and being dropped. And it was just an instinctive thing. What I did was, I just kind of curled myself up into a ball, almost like a fetal position, kind of very defensive. And I just shut my eyes tight. And I can just remember, you know, just seeing the back of my eyelids, everything was just dark. And then it was the funniest thing, is what I heard. I didn't expect to hear this. All I, I vividly remember this. All I can remember hearing was me. And what I was saying was, all I, I vivid in my memory, wrapped up in a ball, eyes closed. I just remember hearing, oh, oh. There were no words to speak in that moment. I 
think, I think I went out through the back window and I was unconscious. And the last next thing I remember, I remember waking up and all the police were there and all the ambulances were there. I was covered in blood from head to toe and I was lying on the ground and I could see the car on its roof. Couldn't get any words out of my mouth. Groaning is for real. It's somewhere deep down inside of you. When you run out of words, when they fail you, and the Bible says creation is groaning because things are not the way they're supposed to be. It's not supposed to be like this, the way it is. Death and pain and coronavirus and sickness and suffering, they're actually all wrong. They're not supposed to be here. And a happy attitude, go lucky, it's going to be okay, doesn't polish over that, and it's not supposed to polish over that. It gets even more incredible. Verse 23, it's not only creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly. So it's talking about those of us who know and love, those of us who name the name of Jesus Christ. We've been given the Holy Spirit. We are not exempt from groaning. You see, this ought to be a place of tremendous, great, great gratitude where we are lavishly grateful to God, where we stand to our feet and we applaud God quickly and easily. But this ought to be a place where groaning is welcome and allowed and honest and real. And then this last verse is just simply amazing. It just blows my mind. Likewise, the Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So in the context of the real world that you live in, creation is groaning. People are groaning. Followers of Christ are groaning. And unbelievably, the Spirit of God is groaning. The God of the Bible groans. Do you understand? Our God, the holy, matchless, wondrous, powerful, joyful creator of all is a groaning God. I want you to step into tomorrow with a single cause for tremendous gratitude and standing on your feet and applause. You see, I don't know that I could believe in God had he not gone to the cross. I would struggle tremendously with that. I don't know that I could believe in a God who did not go to the cross. I don't think I would. I think I would reject God had he simply decided to remain distant and comfortable and free from pain and the reality that we know. The most mysterious words ever spoken on the cross by Jesus Christ was when he was in the ultimate moment of anguish, physical anguish and spiritual anguish, when the sins of the world were being thrust upon him. He groaned, he groaned this cry that in theology is known as a cry of dereliction. A derelict place, there's nothing there. Jesus at this moment had completely just emptied himself. It's this cry of dereliction where he opens up his mouth almost at the point of death and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, God looks at this condition called life. That's wrong. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And creation is groaning and waiting. 
people are groaning like you and I. And Christ himself says, I'll enter into that. I'll step into that. I will steep myself and experience the world to the extent that I will cause myself to cry out from my own depths so that I can put things right, so that there will be a day that is coming very soon that there will literally never, ever once again be a cause for anyone to groan about anything. The resurrected one, church, the resurrected one, he's coming back again and he's going to put all things right and death and pain and suffering will all be distant memories church let's stand up together you see there is a God a groaning God and that is why we stand up that is why we applaud I'm done complaining I have too much to be grateful for